This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Cliff Eidelman, composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I'm here. I am Zach Moore. Oh, oh hey. Sorry. I'm oh, Hugh hey, Stark. Hello. Man, he's cutting me off. Jeez. <laughs> he didn't. He, you didn't read the script. <laughs> well, we're winging it here today anyway on Standard Orbit this week. This week, we are going to talk the emotions of Spock. We're going to talk emotional Spock. Yeah, shouty Spock, emotional Spock, emotionally compromised Spock. You know, for someone who does, says he doesn't have emotions, he, he sure does display a lot of them, doesn't he, guys? At times. At times he does. I think that, uh, you know, I remember after the motion picture came out and I was really getting into Star Trek, and they had those um, cards, those trading cards back then, and they had a little biography of Spock, and it said the half-human, half-Vulcan, and I was like, no, he's full Vulcan. He never shows his emotions or whatnot. And then, you know, as I went back and watched the, the series, I started to realize, ooh, yeah, okay. Um, he is half, half human. And then, you know, you get to, to Journey of Babel and it's all, it's all right there. But there was a lot of it, I guess, that I never really picked up that he had that, that human side to him. But I have to give Leonard Nimoy a hell of a lot of credit because, what, if you had to do it in percentages— he was 97% of the time emotionless. That Would you say that's right? Somewhere in that number? I don't know. Yeah, somewhere in that in that number. Maybe 97, 95% of the time he wasn't. Well, damn it, you're a Vulcan. What is it to like the third decimal place, Haley, for Christ's <laughs> sakes? Let's go. I don't do math, though, unfortunately. I'm not a, I'm not a mathy Vulcan. Oh, man. So, so when you submitted your application to the Academy, they just laughed you right out of it, huh? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm so, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to hit a soft spot. Uh, now look, we, now we got another Vulcan ready to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think the best parts of Leonard Nimoy's emotional performances are, are when they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, when and there's a lot of times he kind of catches himself. You know, as you know, as Spock, right? Not as Leonard Nimoy, but one of the. I mean, there's a lot of obvious ones, and we'll touch on a lot of those here over the course of of Spock's time on screen. But but to me, it, one of the little one of the little ones, but kind of just shows you. Like who Spock is, and, and and but also who he tries to present himself as, 
It's in like the Cobra Knight maneuver, right? Where it's at the end, of, it's near the end of the episode. They're out of options, right? And Spock turns to Kirk and he's like, "I'm sorry." He's gonna say, "I'm sorry," but he stops himself and he says, "He yep. kind of composes himself." He's like, "I regret I cannot find any alternatives." <laughs> and it's like that is so Spock right there. Like, like who he is, he wants to say sorry because you know Kirk is his friend and and he really is sorry. That's his human side coming out, but he wants to do the Vulcan and professional thing there, so he gives the most you know logical, cold officer answer to this their situation so little moments like that they go across the show those are the ones that kind of really speak to to what's going on under this under the surface for spock yeah i think the most times that he shows the most emotions is when i don't count them as emotional spock uh, because he's got some spore that's done something right so we're not counting these uh, at least i don't when he's taken over by something so he's not in full composure of himself. Well, would you would you count uh, a mock time then? That one's a little iffy. I mean, he is emotional, Spock, and it's hormonal, right? So it's internal. So that one would that one would count, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's the end of a mock time. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the best emotional piece, right? So, I, I yeah. So I guess when I think of a mock time going through all those changes and whatnot, I, I say, okay, it's emotional, but he can't control it. Uh, but he lost control of it at the very end and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that kind of one second where he smiles like Jim, and then he quickly composes himself there. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, see, and yeah. that one counts because all the Vulcans every seven years are going to go through that. Right. So that's part of their biology. So that one counts, but you know, there's just certain things taken over by a sport. Yeah, that doesn't count. There it is. I think uh, I think a mock time. I mean, there's so many, you know, emotional moments in there, especially you're right, Ken, like that. The end because he thinks he's killed. He's killed his captain and his friend, and he will not live long or prosper, as he says when he leaves Vulcan. And then he sees Kirk still alive, and he just can't control, you know, his 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 joy in that moment. So that's one of the most pure, like happy moments for Spock, right? And 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 the whole show. You know, over the course of uh, of that episode, though, there there are a lot of other ones. Like I think even even the beginning, like because the very beginning of the episode that they they want to signify, hey, something's wrong with Spock. You know, and like McCoy's talking to Kirk, he's like, I don't know, he's Spock. He's you know, he's weird, whatever. And and then they and then they're walking by. I, I think mean, that was the direct quote. Actually. Yeah, he's weird, whatever. <laughs> and, and and they're walking by, you know, uh, Spock's quarters, and then and then Chapel goes in there, and then he's like, "What is this? If I want something for me, I'll ask for it." And he kind of throws the the soup out. It's like, God, what an ungrateful, you know. And it's it's so shocking to see Spock behave that way because you know, not not to get all like you know, everyone acts this way sometimes, but I think there are all times when when we like people do nice stuff for us and we're jerks because we're humans and we kind of like take crap out on people that don't deserve it right and so like that really speaks to like people like me at least myself talking about myself here not that i'm going through you know the pun far all the time just saying you know so like on on one level like damn like i don't want to come off like that i better watch myself but also it's just it's it's amusing to the point of how over the top it is especially for Spock. And that's the whole, you know, the whole point of it It really does set the tone for how he's going to behave the rest of the episode. Like you have to go that far above to make you go, whoa, something really is wrong with Spock in there. Cause he's not only is he, he's yelling, he's shouting at not only a friend, but a fellow officer. He's throwing stuff out in the hallway. That, that is, that is not Spock. Nope. That is not Spock. I think another good example of trying to get things back in control is the naked time, you know? Um, and that, 
was probably one of the more powerful scenes in all of Star Trek, uh, at least from Leonard Nimoy's perspective, too, he thought it was. I mean, he, he really worked hard, you know, trying to gain that control right back, and it was literally killing him, you know? I mean, it was uh, an incredible journey. Now, I don't know if that counts because it's something he couldn't control, like Haley says no. Haley says no. Haley says no. <laughs> All right. Well, we well, have to stop um, talking about it immediately. No. <laughs> I'll stop. But I, I guess from the opposite point of view, it's it's the level of effort he's taking to get it back in control, which to me is that story. It's less the emotion. It's more the, you know, he wants to fight it as hard as he can to bring his bring those emotions under control. Yeah. Well, see, and, and the reason why I was shaking my head no is because that is a external organism that's come aboard the ship so i guess i i will say then we can move on from it like i like like as 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 weird as it sounds right it's like i i will repeat that to myself sometimes like when i'm like get like really overwhelmed stuff like i am in control of my emotions i am in control of my emotions like i think about that scene with spock when i'm like all right stay stay whelmed here you know i'm in control of my emotions you're gonna get through this no matter what's going on so so that is a, a, a life lesson from star trek folks just be more like do you Spock. start counting too yeah then, then i i lock the door <laughs> I, but i find it an effective form of getting back control of my emotions so. huh okay i think some of my favorite moments are when he just randomly smiles and he shows that happiness. So we get it in the very first episode, or at least what I say is the first episode, The Cage. The, like, musical plants. I love that reaction to that. It's just, like, sheer wonderment and joy at this plant that obviously no one has seen before. And it's making music. And it's shimmery. And it's shiny and pretty. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think that's a huge continuity problem, but you know, that's my <laughs> because I mean, on, honestly, yeah, th- that's cool. Like, if you don't know who this guy, he's like he's the weird looking alien. Guy. He's he's weird, right? Uh, he's the weird looking alien guy. You know, he, he they didn't have to establish anything because in the cage, right? Number one is the cold, emotional, logical, and then of course they kind of changed some character traits around when they got the show. But yeah, it is like out of context. It is very interesting and refreshing to see Spock, you know, and even in where no man has gone before, right. They're playing chess. It's like, Oh yes. One of your earth emotions. And he's smiling when he's like saying it. And it's like these pilots, I hadn't quite captured the character of Spock, but it is interesting to see that in retrospect, once you like come to know Spock as, as he would become in the show. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the way it works, Haley is, and it works beautifully in the menagerie, it, you know, Spock was finding himself, and what was it? Was it 12 years ago, 13 yeah, thir- years 13 ago? years before TOS yeah. season one. So, yeah, so think about it, right? It was only filmed two years prior to that episode, and yet it did feel like 13 years. It, because it really did, yeah. <laughs> it really did, and it, and it works. It works because of that, I think, because, you know, his, his, his looks are a little bit different, his attitude's a little bit different, all of that, and so, uh, you know, to me... Uh, it it works. You're right. They they didn't really flesh out the character, but I think the reason they could have that two parter and it worked so effectively was that 13 year timeline. And you just go, oh, you know. So you you think of Spock in his youth, still trying to work towards getting more and more control of his emotions. So I think it's just just becomes part of the journey for him. So that's why I enjoy it. I, I really do like the the shouty Spock, as they say, and um, the expression on his face because, you know, we, we don't get it much in the show. So every time you catch that little glimpse, we all go, Hey, look, you know, it's different. There, there is a lot of shouty Spock, like obviously the pilots and then the first, you know, three or four episodes still trying to like figure out, he's still shouting orders at everyone on the bridge, like check the circuit and stuff like that. And then like, even in like mud's women, that's an early one. Like the, although when all the mud's women come on the ship, he kind of like 
gives Kirk a look like, hey, what's, you know, so it's like, these are things that Spock would never do <laughs> once Spock is established. But, you know, to, to that point, uh, as I always say, there's always some either, there's either a fan theory or a novel or a comic book that explains this. And, and my, and my favorite or one of my favorites, you know, it's, it's hard to say really because there's so many, but, um, Star Trek, uh, novel trilogy, I've mentioned it a few times on the show, uh, the Crucible trilogy in the Spock book, uh, the fire in the rose, I believe it's uh, they have it they talks about Spock's kind of kind of goes through his whole career on the Enterprise and they have like they have like a scene after like where no man has gone before takes place and everything happens and Kirk and Spock are talking and Kirk's like hey you know I was looking at some old mission logs here and I see they used to smile like what's that all about and basically it was like their explanation was Spock was trying to like fit in more with the crew you know but then he was like well that's not true to me i'm not gonna do that anymore so i thought that was that was an interesting kind of way around that and i love you know i was i love talking about the star trek continuators but more than that i love finding ways to like make them make sense (laughs) so that's what that's what they did in that novel and i thought that was a pretty clever way to do it because yeah if you're you know whenever you get like a new job you're around some new people you're like all right i'm gonna fool out this crowd i'm gonna see what works so it doesn't work you know that's what spock's doing in the case you just say look at this funny plant guys doesn't it doesn't make you smile so (laughs) fair enough uh, so one thing um, I thought is an emotional Spock is when he falls in love or kind of falls in love, is attracted to Droxine from the Cloudminders. He even talks about Ponfar with her. So, I mean, that's that's some pretty big emotions there. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that one. That's a great one. Look at you. Pulls out the wild card. Was that on your list there, Zach? I mean, no, that wasn't my favorite moment. But. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, did you? Th- I, I didn't even. Well, that, that, I, I, I didn't even register. I mean, he calls her a work of art. That's that's pretty deep, right there. That's pretty deep. Yeah, yes. Even Kirk gives him a double look. He's like, "Oh, looks like you've got some game too." All right, I see how it's going to be this this, this season. Uh, but that that is that did seem odd to me. I mean, I guess he's. He's a lot more comfortable with himself now in the third season. I, I don't know. I, to me, that that's not because that's a, to me that's just like a side effect of the third season. It seemed like everybody was falling in love every week. There had to be some love interest every week. But talking talking about Pon Far though, he won't even tell his best friend about that. But he's like, "Yeah, lady, I just met on a planet. Here's what, here's how it goes." So I'm like, I don't know. He's he's been hanging out with Kirk too much. Bottom line is the problem right there. All right, I think that is the problem by the third season. So yeah, it could be, could be. I guess yeah, you know. After a while, it's like uh, it becomes a little bit of a, an ego contest, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so who, who can step it up the most? But yeah, that 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 that's a that's a pretty cool call out. I um I I, I hear you on that one. Now you got me like, wow, okay, you know, because I, I didn't even think about that. So. What 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 about Haley? What about uh, all our yesterdays? Is, is that count as under the influence of something else for you or not? What what are your thoughts on on him getting all really? I mean, he almost like he wasn't him. prepared. They didn't prepare him. Yeah, he wasn't properly prepared. <laughs> I mean, not only is he's, you know, he's fallen in love, he's hooking up with a beautiful woman, he's threatening McCoy, like, grabbing his neck. I'm like, he is all, he is, you know, Pond Farspock all over again here in uh, All Our Yesterdays. I don't, that one's iffy for me. That one's kind of a little on the fence. I wouldn't count it necessarily, but I can understand why somebody else would count it as emotional Spock. Like, the way I always saw it, and I, and I guess I was wrong all these years, and I, I might have talked about this on the show before, but it's like, I always thought like, oh, the Vulcan, because they say like, oh, Vulcans were savage, you know, what, 5,000 years ago, right? And that's what I'm reverting to. And I always, because I always thought, it was because, you know, they have this, like, mental link, you know, because they're all Vulcan. It's like in the immunity syndrome where the, the intrepid gets destroyed, and he, like, feels he like feels all the Vulcans die. And so they have 
because they're I know they're kind of touch telepaths, but even so, they have like this you know linked to each other all like throughout the galaxy. And I thought, okay, maybe that's that's influencing him because he's in that time period, and their emotions are so strong and so powerful and so savage, right? That they're like emanating out from Vulcan, and that's why it affects him in that way. But apparently, it's just because he, like you say, can he wasn't prepared or whatever. So I don't know. Kirk wasn't acting like some human like from five thousand years ago. Now that was McCoy. So I, I don't, I don't know. That, that that's why I came up with that theory on my own because, as I just said, fanboys, right? That's what we do. We come up with, we fill potholes with our theories. So that that was my theory there. So, well, that's a pretty extravagant theory there, Zach. I, I, I guess you know, I'm just not that deep a person. I guess you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know really what to say because when people go that far, I just go, wow, and. You know, Star Trek is loaded with that. Totally. I mean, what, what people will go to in, in the mental gymnastics, and I don't mean that in a negative way, mm-hmm. but trying to piece everything together to make sure the continuity works or to fit a narrative that, that you know, makes them feel more comfortable is, is pretty funny. I never for a second thought it was anything less than he's 5,000 years in the past or whatever it was. And, um, you know, that's just how Vulcans were back then. And, you know, there was no preparation because when they went through, they were in their uniforms and everything else. And yet the whole planet went through it and they were adapting to the time time frames and all that other stuff. So but that that's pretty cool theory, though. I like that. I mean, there's I, th- I think there's a book there. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll get right on that. So <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. You know, I, I uh, and I'm sure there's a book that's written somewhere on Vulcan history. Um, it was probably on your entrance exam, Haley. Uh, you know what? What? What really caused them to? You know what? What made Serac uh, make them focus more on being emotionless and logic? And you know the other piece of it, which I love in any science fiction era, is how people are like, you know what? I can't adapt to this, so we're leaving. And so <laughs> even though they haven't invented the wheel yet, they go to Romulus, or you know they, they leave Earth or whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> just go, okay, done. See you later. So I, I'd like to know all that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think I think you know it's just I they saw that emotions were causing so much chaos and destruction that setting them aside, not necessarily completely getting rid of them, but setting them aside was the smarter and uh, life extending choice to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it was it was born from a crisis, but I think there's a good book there. What was the oh, crisis? Yeah. What drove it? You know that type of thing. We know bits and pieces. Speaking of yeah. speaking of Surak, uh, that reminds me of another micro emotion. Yeah, you know, because that's like kind of the ones I was trying to zero out on was uh, in the Savage Curtain when Surak shows up because because Kirk's already met Abraham Lincoln. So who's the Vulcan equivalent to Abraham Lincoln? Is Surak right? And Spock's like Surak, and he's like Surak, forgive me when I saw you. I briefly displayed emotion. Sarak's like, you were forgiven. <laughs> it's just, it was like nothing. Like, he's like, I don't even know. Like, his eyes opened up like two millimeters wider than they usually are, right? But Spock, I mean, this is the guy who like set the standard for what logical Vulcans are supposed to do. And Spock was like, he was so like ashamed of the fact that like he like displayed like a micro emotion. I thought that was so interesting. And he's like, you're forgiven. It's okay. <laughs> it was just an interesting exchange there. Yes. Go in peace, my son. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, another episode I kind of thought of uh, was uh, the empath. I mean, it's not major emotional, but to see the three of them struggle with what they're dealing with, and and how Spock is like, no, I'm gonna be the one to go, and you guys are gonna stay, um, you know. And then finding Kirk 
finding McCoy with Kirk and, you know, everything. What do you guys think on that? Well, that, that's when they, they, they're each all trying to be the person that gets taken away to get killed, basically. Because they think yeah. that, oh, the next, well, and, the next person who's going to get taken might not come back, right? The Vians come in and, and he actually tells Kirk, you know, we've got to suppress our emotions in order to get rid of this force field because that's what's creating the force field because they're they're worried about McCoy. Um, McCoy's going to die. I mean, a whole episode is ranged on. They're trying to teach her to have emotions, right? So they're trying to get it out of these three characters and trying to get emotions out of Spock, Vulcan, who's, yes, half human, but suppresses those emotions is really quite an interesting play on that. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I guess in that case, you know, you, you adapt to the situation. It, it, to, to me, you know, the, the, the bond of friendship is usually what creates the slippage for Spock. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that that theme stays consistent with this. Uh, and it was a little bit deeper, you know, because it, it was a um, you know, it's funny that that episode to me has always been one of those. Um, I don't know if the right word is avant garde. You know, I mean, it almost felt like uh, some kind of weird foreign film version of Star Trek. <laughs> I don't really know how to I put it. I get what it. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, it just had a, it, the whole vibe of it was was um, was very different. And then you know when you when you bring this up, Haley, as I, as I think back on it, I I do recall thinking, you know, okay, um, this is this is very noble. This is what you would expect, and you kind of forget that it's Spock doing that. But you would expect him to do that. That's where I get a little confusing. I guess I. You know, it, it, because you know deep down he does feel, mm-hmm. right? And and all three of them would give, uh, would sacrifice themselves for the other. What do you think, Zach? Have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it shows you that you don't, even though you don't display emotions or wear them on your sleeve, you can still have them. Obviously, you know, like like the mm-hmm. the love they have for each other is like this unspoken bond. You know, like what greater love than a man who lays down his life for his friend, right? So that's what's going on there. And Spock, he, he, Spock uh, he loves you through his actions, if not so much his words and his expressions. So, Yeah. I thought you were going to say, you know, all the Vulcans were connected. And then, no, no never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a fan theory for every last situation here. So, um, But, you know, uh, Haley, I know you said it didn't count. Spock had emotions in this episode, and it was a big deal at the end. It was this side of paradise. I know he got the spores. I know you said about five times spores don't count. That's fine. I understand. I respect your opinion. Uh, but, uh, but at the end though, it is, it, it is a, it's a very like melancholy scene. Cause at the end they're like, I think man wasn't meant for paradise and all this kind of high concept stuff. And then Spock's, and then they asked Spock kind of what was, you know, uh, about it. And he's like, for the first time in my life, I was truly happy. You're like, wow, that, that sucks. You know? Cause he's never really been able to be happy. Cause he thinks he's like, he thinks it's like not, he's not supposed to be cause happy's an emotion. So it just, it just kind of shows you like. Like the struggle, like the everyday struggle this guy has to go through because of these rules he kind of imposes on himself because he's a half Vulcan, right? He's half human, so he could he can do whatever he wants, but it's just he he just chooses the Vulcan <laughs> lifestyle. So right. and it, it's like it's like a it's a tough it's a tough choice that he that he makes for himself. So yeah, yeah, oh, it is, and you know, I, 
he could have gone the way of his brother. You know, what was his name? Shecky. Anyway, sidebar. Sorry. I'm not kidding, but <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, maybe that maybe that is part of it. It's like he's just he's like, well, emotions. Look what they did to my brother. I'm I'm staying away from that stuff. I never touch. I'm not touching that stuff. So that yeah. might have been that might have been a factor. Who knows? So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then you know, he did wind up spending a lot of time on Romulus in the prime you know timeline too. Just, just the whole thing is interesting with him. But you know what? I, I hadn't thought about that moment until you brought it up, Zach. And you know what? It is, it, it, that is a very sad moment. It really is. It's a very touching moment. I, I yes, it is. I, I agree. And well, and I mean, in hindsight, that one does kind of count. Well, there we like go. We're working on end, her. Right? We're working on her, Ken. She's letting up on her rules. No. So, so his his what he says, and looking back on what happened to him, you know, yes, the they've already defeated the spores. It's not affecting him anymore, so he can look back on it. So it is an emotion from the heart after the fact, right? But like what happened to him during was not. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. That's a, I think we've come to a fair compromise in our analysis here of Spock's right. emotions. I, I, so. I think so. I think so. I, I will say too that uh, you know it was it was an okay episode, but I didn't like Spock with all those emotions throughout the episode. I mean, it, it got it got old to Hanging me fast. From the tree. Yeah, it just you know once <laughs> once the once the gimmick was um, in full force, it was like no 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 because. You know, I, I can't say I watched them in order and all that stuff when I was a kid or, or whatnot, but it was the slight glimpses, the slight things. You know, it wasn't the over-the-top stuff that that I <clears throat> that I enjoyed when he got emotional. It was it was the slips, it was the the little pieces here and there, and so that whole episode was no. You know, it's it's kind of like even when you're going through the book. And you see pictures of the cast in between takes, and you see <laughs> Leonard Nimoy with a big smile on his face, and you just on one part of it you're like, yeah, I'm glad he's happy. On the other part, he's like, that's not Spock. It looks wrong. Yeah. 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 And that whole yeah. episode felt wrong. You know. And, well, and that's why you know I say that it's because of the spores. He's right. not him. He's not actually himself. If it's a hormone like in a muck time that's totally fine because yes that's an internal thing but if it's something that's affecting him from externally even if it's affecting him internally it doesn't count and and you're right it is those little slips because he is Spock he is this composed in control of his emotions in control of himself all the time and so those little moments of when he slips are really just those truly wonderful things yeah, that that is an interesting point you make, Ken. Like you're like, okay, we've seen it, let's move on from it. But you know, the the fan mail they got after the episode was just enormous. You know, especially all the female fans are like, oh, Spock, I rock Spock, and all that stuff, right? So, <laughs> so but they, the fans and viewers responded to that, and so, so that's why they kept like sneaking in episodes where you know Spock gets possessed, like all your talk, all those all the things that don't count, Haley. And I agree with you. It's like when Spock gets possessed by this alien or that, right? It's like excuses to see Spock, even if it's not necessarily Spock, show emotions and that kind of thing they, they, they're like oh the people love this stuff let's keep giving it to them and it kind of it's it's the law of diminishing returns right because it's like yeah that was it's a cool like what if spock was like an emotional guy let's see that every now and then but you can't keep going back to it and i i think they balanced it pretty well with like like we've all been saying here that the little slips here and the you know other emotional times that are explained by the way vulcans operate there and and stuff like that, but uh, but 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 I think yeah that they saw the reaction to that from the fans, and, and they and they're like, oh good, we're gonna give you some more of this when we can, and that's why we have so many moments uh, that count or don't count, but moments nonetheless of of Spock's uh, emotions on the show. 
one of the one of the uh, you know we, we we talked last week about the the refit enterprise episode 251 okay oh very good kid such a recall <laughs> i know hey man at my age that's pretty good last week anyway uh i, I was thinking about uh, all the spock moments and the you know it was kind of strange in the motion picture for them to go um so deep into the culinar and spock being as cold and emotionless as possible, as sterile as the ship, right? As they say, he, this guy was absolutely cold, cold, cold. And then at the uh, the end of the movie, after well, towards the end, after he does the mind meld with V'ger, um, you know, you hear him laugh, just a just a, a slight laugh, and then it, it all comes full circle to him, right? What's important, what isn't, um, and how cold V'ger is, and how close he was to becoming that. And the emotions that that spawned from that, I thought, were very powerful, right? He just, I know there's a scene where he has the tear in his eye, but I'm thinking more about when he reaches his hand, grabs uh, Kirk's arm, and he's like, you know, this simple grip, it has no meaning, no feeling, emptiness, you know? And um, I thought that scene was a very powerful scene because it it shows that, um, you know, the, the more you try to, run from your emotions and the more you want to become almost more mechanical um the more distant you are from what's what's really important and you know i thought it was a very teachable learning moment for spock and and in the movies that followed he was different you know he was radically different when he came back to life you know after he was you know when he went through the fusion uh you know so to speak the the jump start but i thought that was that was pretty good and you know, um, the the scene, though, where he has the tear in his eye because he's crying for V'ger didn't play as well. I thought the scene in the sickbay was 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 much more Spock. That 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 added tear piece was just mm, I mean, it was OK, but it, it's it's like, no, you, you had your Spock moment. You're only allowed to have a slight one because <laughs> it's Star Trek. You, you went you went for two. It was too much. Yeah, I, I think that the tear was a little over the top, but that is that is a great scene. It, it really is the message of the movie that a lot of people miss, you know, because Spock and Veach are on these parallel journeys in, in the movie, and and they both ultimately come to the same conclusion that like you, know, you have to evolve beyond logic. You know, logic is the beginning of the wisdom, not the end, as Spock would say in a later movie. So, uh, so so yeah, it's just it, that's a, it's a really smart parallel to have between to Spock and and Veach in, in the film, just seeing his self realization, and it does inform the other movies that follow. Like you said, Ken, he's he's changed because of this. And for people to say, oh, you can just skip the motion picture and start Star Trek 2. I say, no, look at the character of Spock. You know, that's a very informative event in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they reference a lot of things in the motion picture and follow-on movies slightly, you know, Colin R and things like that. And so they, they do harken back to it. So it's, it's, it's a good reference point. I don't know, Haley, what did you think of that scene? No, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. It's, it's very moving and powerful. Um, and it's interesting to see the circle because, right, we we see him be a little more not so um, not so emotional, but uh, figuring out who the character is in in the early stages of TOS, and and then he kind of becomes more. I'm not going to be very emotional um, throughout the series, and and then we get into the motion picture, and he's like, I'm I'm no, I'm not going to be emotional at all, and then. And then later films, yeah, he does get that. Uh, he decides, no, I am going to have these emotions, and then we can move on to, 
the Kelvin films. And it is really, but it is a beautiful, powerful scene. Definitely agree. So when he, in, in Star Trek Two, when he, I guess, he rides the line of Vulcan ethics, right? Where they say, you lied. I no, I exaggerated. <laughs> you know, and he had, a, he had a quick response for it. And ours inside, you know, everything was done for a reason. Was that an emotional thing or was that a logical thing to do? Or both? A little bit of both, but I would say more of a logical choice. Yeah, it's it's a tactician kind of decision. Mm-hmm. It's not a. Th- yeah. There's no emotions coming to play. It's like, well, if if I spread this information, this will give us an advantage over our enemy. Therefore, it's the logical thing to do, and I will find a logical way to justify it. Right. So. Well, see, Vulcans are not incapable of showing emotion, but apparently they are incapable of lying. Quote well, unquote. That's their reputation. I mean, who told you? Vulcans tell you that. Of course they would. I mean, that's their <laughs> reputation. You know. So. I love you, but I hate you. Right? That's <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, it is it is interesting that um, when you when you talk about Vulcans in general, or you talk about Spock, that you know, and in Star Trek Five, he actually he's very coy about it. It's like I'm incapable of lying. It's like, don't you know that? Duh. You know, I mean, uh, and so it it is kind of funny that um, you know they, they play that theme a couple of times with the exaggeration and and so forth, but. I, I I got a kick out of it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's an incapable of lying. I think that's a good way to describe it. But because of the logic and ration, rational thought, they don't see, like, what would be the point? It would be more prudent and and helpful to just be honest, even if it's really brutal and and harsh. But logically, you would say if you're if you're logical thinking and rational thinking all the time and that much as a Vulcan is lying just seems really silly. Well, there's a certain naivety to that as well. Like, well, I'm just going to tell the truth all the time. And it's like, well, that's going to that's going to screw you over at some point, Vulcans, you know. So I mean, like in like in Savage Curtain, he was Surak. He's like, I'm going to go over here and talk to these evil villains of history. And negotiations, the only way. And then he gets killed. I'm like, yeah. That's that's what happens. So I mean, you, you gotta have a, you gotta be yeah. you gotta be as as uh, what what is it as innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents, right? You gotta be savvy and discerning in this world. So ooh, like that. But yeah, it, there's that that didn't make any sense. That that to me had very little to do with um, Vulcan philosophy. As it was more Sarek being a pacifist than being logical. Mm. That's that was my thing, you know. So I, I, yeah, I like Kirk tells him like he's he's like I'm gonna go do this. Kirk's like I have no power over you. Or something like that. He's like, go ahead. You know, yeah. I always just find that funny. He's like, I'm going to go do this. And Kirk's like, go ahead. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> but yeah, the, the movie, Spock does go on quite a journey. Like in, in three, you know, I mean, he, he's a he's a child. He doesn't have his, his mind really. So that's, that's just like the growing pains of any Vulcan, I would say, especially that accelerated rate. So I wouldn't really, doesn't really just zero in on there. But, uh, but even in on... In Star Trek Four, like his lack of understanding what emotions are is interesting. You know, like how do you feel? Like he's like he's answering all these complicated equations about the mysteries of the universe, and then he just he cannot answer how do you feel? And that's just and that's a, and that just that un, that completely understands Spock as a character. Like I, I love that they put that in there as a major you know missing piece to him becoming himself again in Star Trek Four, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I I give Harv Bennett a lot of credit. Because uh, he wrote, um, you know, the the first and final acts of of that, and he wrote all of Star Trek three, all of it. And I just I, I was very impressed at how fast he learned the characters, understood the traits. 
and to that point, you know, that how do you feel? And the computer constantly asking it, you know, because mm-hmm. he's just, you know. And, of course, it all like comes <laughs> full circle, which was great. What about five? What do you guys think? I know. I know. Five. We'll glance over five, and there's... Well, I love but... Star Trek five. I think it's Star Trek five. Well, I mean, you, just, you, have, you have his crazy emotional brother, so if anything, it's like... Whenever you got like a family member or a close friend who's doing something like really extreme, you're like, all right, I, I don't want to be that guy. So, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, we can, you know, we can choose to see that, like, Cyborg being this crazy emotional Vulcan who got cast out of their society. Spock's like, okay, I'm, I am going to go out of my way to be the opposite of that. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I thought there was a, a lot of nice um, brotherly family elements in, in it. And I thought that Spock, although he wasn't emotional, he was right on the line in the camp scenes, you know, uh, with with the little quips and all that stuff. And don't forget, you know, humor's in emotion, you know, and and so there was there was a couple of things going on there and whatnot. And you know, a logical person uh, would have killed his brother because the ship was in danger, right? I mean, logically speaking, that would have been the right thing to do. And his emotions did not allow him to do it. Right. And so there's a connection there. That's that's emotion. So there there was yeah. there was more than you think, I think, in Star Trek five. Just subtle. Subtle. Yeah. And but, you know, a lot of times it's because he's acting stoically, but his actions are based on emotion. They really yeah, I mean, he disobeys a direct order from his captain, you know, to yep. not kill his brother. So that, that, that is emotion winning over logic. Definitely. So. But but then, you know, then we see the flashback of when he was born and that, that kind of like like. It totally like sets the whole stage for him and Sarek's like you know re- complicated relationship because his entire life he's felt like his father doesn't approve of him because he's too human and literally the first things his dad says when he comes out he's like mm, so human and I-, I thought to myself is that really a memory but I guess you know Vulcans I, I believe that they have like perfect memory from when they come out of the womb I mean that, that seems to track for me so I-, I believe that that's Spock's first memory so okay yeah maybe I I, I think that. Um... That scene, the the way it played up in the observation lounge or where the the officers lounge, was 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 fairly powerful. There's no doubt about it. It it it, it worked well. Um, it you know, and Spock was silent. You know, so the, there was obviously things he was contemplating and running through his head. But you know, then it, he popped right out of it, and he's like, "I'm I'm not that I'm not that child you left behind." You know, so. Um, yeah, interesting. Because you would have thought too that Spock going through all that would have been very corruptible by a brother who was believing fully in emotion. Well, yeah, it's, it's his experiences over the course of the last you know four movies have really you know forged him to who like like as you say, Ken, I'm not the child you left behind. I've I have found myself. I think he said so. With yes, that's right. That, yeah. That's that, and and his friends and Kirk and McCoy and where he's on the Enterprise. That that's his identity, and he's comfortable with that, which takes us perfectly into Star Trek Six. Where where he's gonna he's gonna move on, but he's got a new protege he's gonna pass it on to, and that does not work out too well, does it? No, no, she um, she's not very nice. He in this in Star Trek Six, I thought the emotion displayed by Spock was very appropriate and very powerful, very very powerful. Uh, you know, knocking the phaser out of her hand in that disappointment, uh, all of that. You know, that 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 anger and frustration. Uh, or even even the more subtle moments when they're whatever he's doing, he's mixing the wine or whatever it yeah. is and the candle. <laughs> I, right. I really don't even know what he's doing, <laughs> but you know the, the 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 whole thing he was doing in there, you know, and he's 
he's being logical, but at the same time, you know, he's like, you know, logic, logic, logic. You know, he's he's that person who, um, you know, has grown up and, and was once her age and thought like she did. And it's like, you're, you're, I always took that as, oh, you'll see when you get older, you know, that it's it's the beginning of wisdom, that type of thing. He but sees in her who the, he used to be. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But well, the uh, well, to your point, Ken, about the, the the scene in sick bay with the phaser, right? I mean, mm-hmm. she's like, if you're logical, you have to shoot, and that that's like Star Trek Five, like you were talking about. Like, you know, the logical thing to do is to like this person is uh, you know in the way of my objective. Logically, I must eliminate them or remove them from achieving my objective. But of course, right. she can't do it because she's just she didn't expect to see Spock there. That just throws her off too. So, right. Yeah, and and very and very well done scenes, very very well done scenes. I, I I thought, and then of course the whole the whole mind meld, you know, when he ends that and his voice is shaking again. I thought was, you know, obviously her scene was powerful. She played that incredibly well, uh, but you know that the way he said she does not know, and I couldn't even attempt to. Uh, give it a try at imitating it. It was like wow, that that that's some acting chops sometimes. When you can make your voice quiver like that, the way he did, and it was very subtle, and then he instantly pops back. But I thought that was like, wow, that was deep. And some of it's very overt, some of it's very subtle, but it works. It works throughout the movie. You know, his his life journey's done. So, so that takes us to the Kelvin timeline, and Zachary Quinto's turn to Spock. And I mean, I'm going to say it here. I like Zachary Quinto Spock. I think he, I mean, we all, he's the guy that like, oh, we're going to recast Spock. He's the guy, you know, I mean, I even remember the rumors. Like, oh, it's the guy from Heroes. He looks like him. He's interested in playing him. You know, they cast him, him and Larry Nimoy forged his friendship and it's great, you know? Yep. And I think he he did capture a lot of Spock. And I I will say like, I love, 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 love the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of Star Trek 09 when you see the history of Spock as it was even in the prime timeline. You forget the Kelvin timeline. Those could be scenes that took place in the prime time. We, We see him at, you know, at the Vulcan Science Academy, he's learning. You know, it's the Star Trek four flat, uh, four kind of computer question things, and then also the stuff from the animated show they infuse into that. And you see the struggle, how like you know, Vulcan kids, like you know, kids are kids, right? So they're picking on Spock, even in the Vulcan, they're doing that, and he, you know, he he lashes out because I mean, that's how I get you. You, you want to get to somebody, you start messing with their mom, you know. So then they start insulting Spock's mom, and he just loses it, you know. And you know, then he we have some moments with him and Sarek together and all that. So I think all that stuff. Before like even when he says like live long and prosper at the end that's basically like a middle finger to the <laughs> Vulcan Science Academy for again insulting his mom right saying like well you know you're you're not a real Vulcan you know because you're your mom and he's like well screw you guys I'm out of here so I love all that what, what about you guys yeah um I we definitely get quite a bit of an emotional Spock in 2009 which is and he I think it's done well as far as the script goes what's going on in the script um, I think my my favorite bit is when um, they're down on Vulcan and he's gone down to um, rescue the remaining because Vulcan's going to be destroyed. It's going to be gone. And when he's beamed back aboard after his mom did not make it. And that was incredibly powerful. And then, you know, the following scene with Uhura and him in the turbo lift and she like stops the turbo lift and kisses him and asks and tells him that she's sorry and he's trying you can see that he's trying to compose himself and he's trying to be Spock and not be emotional Spock after just seeing his mom die knowing that his planet is gone um is really great and then my other favorite one is we have prime Spock 
right? We have Leonard Nimoy and he's down on that other planet and he's just witnessed his planet destroyed. And so when Kirk comes in and he's explaining, yeah, I am compromised and you've got to fix this. I, I am emotional and he was emotional. It was beautiful. Well, I like Star Trek 09, but Spock was emotional throughout the whole thing. And I did struggle with that quite a bit, to be honest with you. I, I thought Quinto nailed the character overall. And I think if I think it worked because we'd seen so much of Spock's journey that when he was younger, he was acting more like Nimoy was in the more mature stages. But he makes a lot of emotional decisions you know, getting Kirk off the ship and all that stuff. He's he's pissed. He's angry. He's this. He's that left, right, and sideways, you know. And, um, you know, even though, again, even though he was stoic, he, there was a lot of emotion there. And it, it, it was it was just very obvious. So I, I thought he did a good job, and I thought the circumstances, you know, the complete annihilation of your planet and all that other stuff, okay, yeah, I, I get all of that. I didn't get the the kissing of Ahura and all that stuff because it's like either you have emotions or you don't. But there's, there's, if, if you don't have emotions and you're doing it to, to make her feel good, okay, you know, that's, that, that I guess could be a logical thing, but that's not how it came off to me. So it was, it was different. They threw a lot of little lefts, right, and sideways here. And, um, you know, again, Quinto is a great Spock. Don't, don't get me wrong. But 09, it, it went a little beyond, no pun intended, uh, where, I thought that the Spock limits should be, you know, because if if he just blew up when Kirk got back to the ship and, you know, pushed his buttons to, to, to trigger him, that would have been one thing. But he had been emotional a lot in the movie before that. So it wasn't the to me, it wasn't as climactic for other people that aren't big fans like we are. I doubt they even picked up on the subtleties of just how many times he did show emotion. Yeah, I mean, Haley, you make a great point about Nimoy Spock, where he's like, "I am emotionally compromised." That's those are great moments, you know, because you Bless you him. feel it with him, you feel it with him. But but I am one hundred percent with you, Ken, on you know uh, Quinto Spock, you know, after you know uh, the the uh, the pre Enterprise years, and that's what I was saying. Like the first like twenty minutes or so, I'm like, "This is this is Spock, this is great." I can see Nimoy Spock doing all the same things, all the same mm -hmm. ways, no Nero interference necessary. But you get to Spock on the Enterprise, and you expect a certain kind of Spock, and he's just he's just not, you know. And certain times that makes sense, but for him to be so just over the top all the time, like, uh, and I think that's the problem, like, tracing back all the way to the original series, like we were talking about, be like, oh, they like this emotional Spock, let's give him more of that. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, it, because he's unemotional, like, when he does get emotional, it means something, but when he just, like, when he looks like he's just going to fly off the handle at any moment, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not the cool, controlled guy that, like, that became the popular character, you know? I mean, there's a certain way about Spock that, that, that they, they, they nail sometimes and the other half of the times they don't. And that continues throughout all three movies, I think. I think beyond they finally, you know, found a good balance, you know? And even then he has his emotional moments, which work great. But in the same way the original series found those emotional moments, beyond got it when the first two Kelvin movies, in my opinion, missed the mark quite a bit for the adult Spock. So do you think he was uh, too emotional again in Into Darkness then? I mean, yeah, yelling Khan, absolutely. <laughs> like, it just makes no sense you know, to me. Like, I, I get that he saw his best friend die, but I just crying and yelling, like, to, yes. And in, in a word, yes, he was too emotional in the darkness as well. I thought the character, especially, you know, when, when they're being reprimanded by Pike and all that other stuff, 
that was perfect spot. Yes. You know, oh, it yeah. just, they, I'm they, experiencing they, multiple they, emotions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it was, to which it, are you referring? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, that's the spot, you know, and, and the answers were perfect for somebody who's, who's not supposed to have emotions. I, I thought it was, it was really, really good. Um, you know, they, they got into the Ahura stuff again, uh, with him and, you know, and, and I love the whole captain, you know, what is that like? When they're arguing and they're, yeah. they're fighting on the, um, yeah, I had written that down when they're on the, um, no, they're not on the turbo lift. Well, they're on the turbo on the lift, ship. but then they're, they're the also on, um, uh, on the trade ship when yeah. they're going down to Kronos and they're fighting back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, the movie just got um, a little too carried away with with Spock, but there was some perfect Spock, legacy Spock, prime Spock, whatever you want to say, moments in that movie uh, that that worked. I thought really, really well. And uh, yeah, and then you know, like, well, the climax is like Spock just beating the yeah. crap out of Khan. I'm like, yeah, that's the Star Trek. In it's like, what is this? A next gen movie? What is this? Like, this is not. <laughs> Yeah, the one-on-one say, fight with the villain at the yeah. end. Right? It wasn't that bad. No, no, of course no, not. I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> I was just Close, having though. fun with that, Haley. <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> pushing, pushing my TNG buddies, that's all. That's okay. Um, but, no, I, I think that, you know, they were trying to they, – they found a little more balance, I think, in this one. I mean, Beyond, yes, definitely got Spock – and his emotions and logic and everything way better than the other two. I think this one, it wasn't as emotional as 2009 when we had it, it was major, but it wasn't, it wasn't like consistently throughout the entire film and into darkness is what I, is what I think, you know, it was more subtle. They, they tried to be a little more subtle with it, you know, and then have those major moments, but Mm-hmm. Well, it was the whole love triangle thing. I thought that you know just kept, kept kind of pulling, and it's like, I guess maybe it's just a tough thing trying to reconcile. How how do you have a relationship with an emotionless person? Uh, and 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 to me, it's like it, it's a great kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of watching it on screen, and you're you're like, okay, is he really emotionless or not? And you know, really, what it is is, you know, he cares a lot. You know, cares a lot about her. He doesn't didn't want to leave her, you know, and, and all of that stuff. And and then we get to be on and he gives her a radioactive necklace. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> all right, so let's let's talk beyond a little bit. There was the weight and the heaviness of Nimoy's death that permeated the film. So I th- again, I thought Quinto did a phenomenal job as Mr. Spock. And, you know, the... It, it all comes full circle, losing Vulcan, um, losing, I guess, himself in a sense, uh, you know, and, and, you know, losing that relationship with the horror. There was a lot of loss in this. And then, of course, there was the whole, you know, trying to survive with um, with McCoy. And I just thought they, the scenes with, with Quinto and Carl Urban were just incredibly good. I mean, just super well done. Yeah. So I think that uh, the way it was played was fine. And I think the nuance was fine. The difference in this one, in my opinion, Haley, was the fact that they were honoring Nimoy. And there was just because we all as uh, Star Trek fans, excuse me, as Star Trek fans, we were emotional. We were emotional. And when they showed that picture of the cast, it was like, oh, my Uh, God, you know, you're killing me. You're (laughs) killing me. Right. 
Yeah, I think I think that was the most powerful moment in the film because you knew that not only was Zachary Quinto playing Spock and trying to be stoic but also emotional and show a little bit seeing that picture, but Zachary himself because of his relationship that he had with Leonard um that I mean I can't even imagine trying to play Spock knowing that you're going to get that knowing that it did happen that you had this relationship in actuality with the other actor was just I yeah <laughs> could get emotional about it talking about it oh so. I do I, I think you know it, I think with all the the talk that we've had lately about the fact that there, there won't be a Star Trek 4 and all that stuff and you know, I, I get emotional thinking because I, I thought it was a very heavy movie. I mean, we, we lost Leonard Nimoy. We lost Anton Yeltsin. It was, it was you know, there, there was a lot in that movie that was just great, celebratory, um, you know, powerful, emotional, everything. And it, it was just a wonderful film. And I, and I thought the whole aspect of the, the Spock piece of it just is what, you know, it, it's like I, 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 I want to see something a little bit more uplifting and fun now. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to see the, now that they've gone through this, I want to see it all come home and, and it's unfortunate that we won't, but I, um, yeah, I, it was, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, to me, the most emotional part, maybe not for Spock, but for me as the viewer and beyond was seeing Spock open up that picture from Star Trek five. I love that it was from Star Trek five, but I mean, you can, even though he didn't get emotional, that was like the emotional, you know, final catalyst for him to decide to stay with the ship. You know, although logically it's like, well, I should go home and populate more Vulcans. That was the whole thing with the, uh, you know, why he went him and her having problems, this and that. But I think that really brought it all home and really kind of created, you know, now in retrospect, closure <laughs> for that Spock and, and his character journey. So, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, I think, I think we're all aligned there. Absolutely. You know, one thing before we um, we close was, you know, obviously um, Spock was in the next generation uh, before Star Trek VI came out as, as part of the publicity there. And even though he was really mostly in the second part of Unification uh, for, the, for everything, and he was very Spockish the whole time. You know, there, there wasn't really any emotion. But when he mind-melded with Picard, because he had his, I guess, essentially his father's Katra, or whatever he had, his memories, and you saw Spock's face when he, when he touched Picard— and you could see that emotional jolt. I thought again, you know, there was another scene there where it was like he's he's downloading. I know it's very mechanical sounding, but you know, the loss of his dad, and it and it it was impactful, right? I mean, it was it was it was impactful. Um, I will say they carried that trope way too long. They 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 had everything fine in Star Trek Four. I don't know why they had to keep this whole relationship thing being negative. But but anyway, that, that emotional piece was was pretty cool. I, I see your point, Ken. You're right. It, four is a perfect, you know, we, we've talked about that scene before on, on Senator, but like that, that, that scene between Spock and Sarek, it's such a, a perfect way to kind of like tie in their relationship together as father and son. But but at the same time, you know, fathers and sons have complicated relationships and, and, and it, you know, you kind of appreciate the fact that like, okay, you know, Spock and his dad, like, didn't see eye to eye on everything and they kind of and it's tragic really the way it ends because Sarek was just he wanted to see Spock one more time and he and he died and like Picard said he's like now I have to go I went to go bring him back and I have to go tell him his father has passed away and they never got that like 
I mean, they never got that reconciliation at the end. I mean, they got it kind of maybe in the middle of their lives together, but not at the end. And that's just and that that's just something that it's kind of it's a really bold decision, I think. And I and I applaud Star Trek for it. But uh, but how can you be disappointed if you don't have emotion? And that's the problem I have with it. You know, I mean, I can understand. You know, resentment. That's emotion. This is that. People make choices, and it, again, it's the it's the inconsistency of it. And um, but but Sarek is a kind of a paradox himself, though, right? I mean, he married well, a human he is woman, because so. you know, yeah, his his logic is uncertain where his son is concerned. I do get that. I I do. I I just I just mean to me, it, and it's you know, it goes well beyond Star Trek, but the daddy issue stuff in. TV and what I just am like I just roll my eyes and <laughs> I it, it and I really feel the same way with Star Trek it's like stop it the Riker thing all of it I was like will you just stop you know it wasn't until really you know Cisco and he had a dad and he said I loved you and I love you son and I was like that happens too you know <laughs> that that really does happen <laughs> anyway it's a great scene with with Picard. Yeah, you're right, Ken. That is that is an overplayed trope in fiction and in Star Trek. So I totally, I, I totally see your point there. Although the context of Spock and Sarek, I, I liked it, but but I got you. I, I follow you 100. percent Ultimately, I think Spock as a character, why he's so popular, is he's really, you know, to borrow a phrase, the best of both worlds, right? I mean, there's a lot to be said for logic and you know the Vulcan way of life and all that, but there's a lot to be said for humans as well, you know, and and, and how we have the capacity to think beyond logic, right? It's the whole Spock's whole journey in the movies. So I, th- I think that is why he's such a compelling character. And, you know, and he's the outsider. We, we all feel like outsiders at some point in our lives, whatever the situations may be. So just say, I mean, he is just a great example of like a character of like how to go about one's business and live their lives. Because ultimately, yes, he cares about duty and logic. But at the end of the day, as you said, Ken, you know, the, the, the whole the deal breakers for Spock is like the friendship stuff, the bonds with other people. Right, and if that's if those are the things that are going to bring out emotions in someone, you know, then that's that's what they should be. So ultimately, that's what, that's who Spock is a character, and that's why I think he's you know he, he, he even though for an emotionless you know a, a character so to speak, right? Uh, it's his emotions that really keep bringing this back to him year after year and show after show. Well, emotional Spock isn't the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, Earl Grey. I really hope they made an announcement to evacuate the forward part of the saucer <laughs> section. <laughs> well, he instructed Troy, and so she would, of course, given the command silently. Yeah, but there was no time. There was no time. Yeah, there it didn't was. seem like there was much time. To... No, there wasn't. <laughs> she did it. Don't it was even like, question be, it. Be prepared to do it, and like 30 seconds later, they were ramming the yep, thing. Yep, plenty but... of time. Okay. Those people on serving on board, they know if they say move, you move immediately. Literary treks. Uh, I love that it's not just, you know, Keith DeCandido is playing the long game here and we get these threads woven through all these stories and it's not just, you know, dumped on you all at once. It's It's a really nice, slow, methodical way to tell a story and I'm loving it. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's equating survival with winning. But again, because we know the end, he needs to survive and not die in the war so he can get back to the mirror universe. And I just love seeing that. Yeah, it's it's great because if you just see this on the surface and don't know the ending, it's true. Warp 5. Problem with Section 31 is it is not 
an official organization. It is extra legal. It does not answer to any authority. It does not answer to any oversight. Officially, it doesn't exist. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>